Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, Mr. Walcott. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. It's the Irish Times Set Gums Football Podcast with Oma Devon and Kennery. How are you again? Good on, how are you? Not bad at all. One of the voices there in our intro music, Jamie Carragher, is one of the men who's weighed in on the Raheem Sterling issue. He's the man we're going to be talking about today. The young man. The question is, are we talking about a greedy, selfish, disloyal young millionaire? Or a individualist, realistic, hard-nosed young millionaire. Yeah. What did Jamie Carragher say? Uh, he uh, It was put to him during that 27-minute interview that he did. Uh, we'll talk about the actual decision-making process behind why you would talk for so long, in Raheem Sterling's case, about a contentious enough issue. But it was put to him during that that Carragher had said, I think you, know, you should just stay and not... Uh, not go. Carragher kind of would say that though. Yes, and uh, in fairness, Sterling handled it quite well. He said, oh well, Jamie, obviously I know Jamie a little bit from, from when I first started. Great guy. Brilliant guy. Yeah. Great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful man. Yeah, it's not a good idea to start getting stuck into the former Liverpool le- I'd love if he said, look, we know what these former Liverpool legends are like, you know. Yeah. Carragher, Tomo, Redknapp. <laughs> These, these guys are a bit of a, these guys can be a bit of a pain, but no, he decided not to go down that road. But uh, where do you stand on this? Uh, which, which, um, pigeonhole are you going to throw young Sterling into there well I want to I I mean it's, it's so obvious what this all reminds me of what is it child as he was he was desperate with hunger and reckless with misery he rose from the table and advancing to the master basin and spoon in hand said somewhat alarmed at his own temerity please sir I want some more <laughs> the master was a fat healthy man but he turned very pale he gazed in stupefied astonishment on the small rebel for some seconds and then clung for support to the copper. The assistants were paralyzed with wonder. The boys would fear. What? said the master at length in a faint voice. Please, sir, replied Oliver. I want some more. The master aimed a blow at Oliver's head with a ladle, pinioned him in his arm and shrieked aloud for the beetle. Mr. Limpkins, I beg your pardon, sir. Oliver Twist has asked for more. There was a general start. Horror was depicted in every countenance. For more, said Mr. Limpkins. Compose yourself, Bumble, and ask me, answer me distinctly. Do I understand that he asked for more after he had eaten the supper allotted by the dietary? He did, sir, replied Bumble. That boy will be hung. 
said the gentleman in the white waistcoat. I know that boy will be hung. I never was more convinced of anything in my life. I never was more convinced of anything in my life than I am that that boy will come to be hung. So, uh, yeah. There's one massive difference, though. You you do know that. Which is? Oliver Twist never had an agent. If he did, he would have sent the agent in to ask for more, and the agent would have known what he was doing. Oliver Twist there, I mean, there was, that's a bad negotiating policy, right? Yeah. This guy, what's the name of the, the evil overlord figure again? Uh, well, I think Mr. Bumble is the guy who's handing out the slop. Well, Mr. Uh, Bumble, Mr. Mr. Bumble's Limpkins, look- Mr. Limpkins, I think, is, uh, the, is the top is The, the top, top guy, man. yeah. But either way, you're negotiating with Bumble, Bumble or Limpkins, any of these guys. If you go yourself, cap in hand, bowl in hand, and ask for more soup, it's quite clear you need that soup. Yeah. You're not going to get that soup anywhere else. Yeah. So you're in a very weak negotiating position. Whereas Raheem Sterling sends his agent in there mm-hmm. and his agent says, listen. Manchester City have been on. Look, Manchester City have been on. Barcelona have been on. Might Arsenal. as well throw it in. Arsenal, Bayern. Throw them all in there and this guy could walk around, walk any, walk around to any of these clubs and just stroll through the door. So uh, get it's, it it's a slightly different... Uh, I mean, Overtwist ended up being... Um, it's a different era. ...sent away. Sent away. Uh, they, they put up a reward of five pounds to anyone who'd take him off their hands because they reckoned he was a young criminal in the making. Whereas Raheem Sterling, um, the money will probably be passing the other way if he does leave Liverpool. But it's something about the reaction to the effrontery of the greedy, um, you know, young man. Yeah. Uh, now, it is it is different in that you know, Raheem Sterling, I suppose, is already earning 35 grand a week. Whereas Oliver Twist was in a workhouse and not getting enough food to eat. So you might think that makes it different. But does it really? Yes. <laughs> it's time for Kennedy's report on sport. Please continue the Oliver Twist uh, comparison right through this. Because, you know, Oliver Twist, at least he had a roof over his head. I mean, you could say it wasn't as though he was the poorest uh, the poorest of the poor. Things have been worse for people at times in human history relative to the society that he lived in. Certainly he was, though. He, You know, he wasn't... Um, he was in a position of extreme relative poverty. So, Raheem Sterling might argue, is he? Here he is forced to get by on 35 grand a week when uh, all around him he can see the evidence of this um, uh, tidal wave of cash pouring into the coffers of the Premier League. I mean, him and his agent have been sitting there looking over the last few weeks. Premier League TV deal, Premier League TV deal. Every single day people are talking about the Premier League's TV deal. You know, the fact that it's going to be, the the league is going to be making, you know, close on three billion pounds a year. You know, when when these uh, foreign and domestic uh, TV deals are, are, are finalised, um, Liverpool, uh, their own turnover has has uh, leaped, has leapt, leaped, leapt uh, hugely just in the last year. Um, this uh, this being as a result of the last TV deal, which finally uh, came into action, was was a huge improvement on the uh, previous one, and also the fact that they uh, did quite well in the league. Uh, which was thanks in no small part to Raheem Sterling, mm. by the way. Um, they're now the ninth richest club in the world, a turnover of 305 million euros. Uh, add the Champions League to that this season, it'll probably go up in the next season's accounts. Then you've got that new TV TV deal coming online. How much is he asking for, really? As much as Daniel Sturridge? He's a better player than Sturridge. He should get more than Daniel Well, this Sturridge. is it, but you, you've said, mentioned the 32 grand a week figure. That's not what he's asking for, that's what he's on. I'm sure every Liverpool fan would say, despite you can get into the idea, the overall picture of being obscene to be paid this amount of money, all this kind of crack. But I think most realistic Liverpool fans would say, okay, if other players are getting paid a lot more than that, he should get paid at least as much as them. Yeah. If he is being offered the hundred grand a week or whatever it is, and he's turning it down, 
then surely that's where the accusations of greed come in. Not, well, that, he, not that he wants more money, but that he's been offered a lot more money and he has refused to accept it. Well, Sterling says that it's not about money. Now, this is, this is where Sterling, you, you, you referred to this interview that he'd done, this 27-minute interview, and that's an amazingly long interview. With any footballer. Absolutely. That's Frost Nixon. You know what I mean? You're talking to Raheem Sterling. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed that he that he spoke so long about it. But obviously, if you do that, you're going to... I mean, what was the thing Roy Keane said? The more, the longer I talk, the more, the more rubbish I say. <laughs> it's going to be the case with, with anyone to an extent. Now, Sterling is saying it's not about money. And everybody goes, oh, really? Um, but maybe it isn't. You know, to turn down 100 grand a week... Uh, I mean, there's this also, you know, r- rumors flying around that he turned down 180 grand, 180 grand. Uh, that that um, I mean, that would be a lot to turn down. But at the same time, it's not as though I, I mean, I think wherever he goes, he's going to get paid a lot of money. The question is not really about money because that's the one thing that doesn't change regardless of which club he's at. It, it really, in fact, I think actually is about the club. Is the club the right place to be? This is a club that Stephen Gerrard is leaving it. At the end of the season, Luis Suarez left it last season. Um, they're down. They're outside the Champions League. It doesn't look like they're going to get back in. Is this the best place? That's uh, there's always there seems to be an assumption though that because these other players have left, have left. <laughs> <We're laughs> we keep doing grammar. this. Yeah. Okay. Let's edit out all our bad grammar from this show. Yes. No, so Simon's looking at me going, "No, this is staying in." No, you know, it's raw. you guys are speaking. It's this real. is raw. This is rugged. If you guys can't verbalize anything, then just yeah. go with it. But the point I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to raise there was that it's assumed... The players have left. That the, these players have left, right? Yeah. Likes of Steven Gerrard. Uh, and, well, no, he's still to leave. But, yeah. um, you know, as far he's, as has left. Yeah. That this is a bad thing for Raheem Sterling, for the future of Raheem Sterling at Liverpool. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's the case because it, surely each big player that goes it, it leaves Sterling in a more central position at the club or at least it should do so he starts taking on a leadership role and that's what some players would, would like some players would, would would be driven more by the idea of right I'm a 20 year old I'm a young man well, we interviewed Liam Brady on, on uh, TV last night and he was driving Arsenal forward from his late teens early 20s it just so happened that he joined Arsenal at a time that uh, they just won the double when mm-hmm. he was sort of 15 going over there and he thought just this is great but within about a year or two years that team had totally disintegrated there's a lot of infighting at the club which on the face of it is not a good thing, but actually it allowed him to become a central figure in the team and to be seen as a leader. By the time he was 22, he was pretty much the senior guy there. And he reveled in that. So I'm just thinking that it's not necessarily a bad thing, even for an individual such as Sterling, that other players are vacating the scene. No, it isn't. I mean, it it does make him more... I mean, that's, in a way, the the dramatic... uh, and swift development of his career owes something to the fact that he joined a club which was really in the process almost of disintegration. Remember, he signed for Liverpool when Tom Hicks and George Gillette were still the owners because they made him the best financial offer. So uh, because of the fact that they really didn't have anyone, they, they threw him in age 17 and he proved his his worth. He proved that he was a, an outstanding player at that age. Um, I mean, what he, he actually addressed this point directly um, in terms of the departures. He says, you, you really want to be working with world-class players day in, day out. This is Suarez and Gerrard. It's obviously left a little dent, these two world-class superstars leaving, but I think we have good players coming through at Liverpool. I mean, I would compare him to Rooney. Rooney uh, made a similar breakthrough, uh, even younger than Sterling, even more spectacular at a younger age at Everton. This is uh, in the city where he'd been born, unlike 
Sterling, by the way. Sterling was born in Kingston, Jamaica, and grew up mainly in Wembley, uh, in in West London. Uh, so it's not as though Liverpool is in his blood. You know, it's not as though the city is his home or that he grew up supporting the club. I mean, Raheem Sterling is so young that he can barely remember the 2005 Champions League final. He thinks he might have, might have watched it. You know what I mean? So it's not, a, it's not a case of he's got these great Liverpool teams in his head. He's, you know, Liverpool is just his, his employer. Um, Rooney, remember, grew up as an Everton supporter, going to matches at Goodison, living in the city, you know, absolutely embedded in the city. And it's got, I mean, he is of Liverpool as much as any footballer I think we, we've ever seen. As soon as he had the chance to join uh, Manchester United, where he's going to win the title and be paid a lot more money, it's it's not even a decision. It's not even a decision. That, it's not even a difficult decision in, in any way. Manchester United, though, at the time, were a clearly dominant force in English football, and Everton were never going to get there. Mm. Liverpool fans would like to think that they can attain those heights again, and that joining certainly joining Arsenal mightn't actually be that big a step up. Yeah, no, Arsenal maybe not, but who's this necessarily going to be Arsenal? I mean, there's Manchester City too. Manchester City are in a position where um, several of their English players, uh, I mean, say Frank Lampard is one of their English players, um, they need eight. They need to have eight. You have to say, uh, and he's he's obviously going to be gone. They, You know, Milner might be gone. They need to bring, uh, they need to bring English players in. Who are they going to, who are they going to get? You know, I mean, Manchester City are, obviously have the potential to be a dominant team in English football. That's There's no doubt about that. And they wouldn't necessarily be the only ones. In. And then there's Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal at least would have the advantage to him of, of moving back to live in the city where he grew up. You know what I mean? So I think there's, you can see in each case the, the attraction. But what, what there is, I mean, what you see now is this kind of turning against uh, Sterling. And it's, that's an inevitable thing that's going to happen. If he was to leave Liverpool, then immediately you would have, you know, all of those who formerly loved him would suddenly be going, well, he's a bit lightweight, where's the end product, doesn't score enough goals, greedy mercenary, doesn't really have the kind of attitude you need to get to the very top anyway, best to take the money. You know, it's just the automatic, we have always been at war with East Asia kind of transformation that happens in the brain of a football fan when a beloved player leaves the team. Not... I mean, you know, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Liverpool fans who will be able to look at it realistically. Oh well, Liverpool <laughs> are realistically going to win the league. Uh, you know, you I'm lose. not sure how many fans of any club actually look at it like that. There's always a sense that ah, this is one of the bright spots in our club, and now he's gone. But the point is, he's still there at the moment, and I, I'm interested in that. Right? If we take it that he ends up staying at the club in the summer, signing the new contract, is it a wise thing to do the interview? I, I think it's sort of ballsy to go out there and explain your reasons, to be confident enough not to do it through your age. And I'm sure the other stories that have been leaked, some of them would have come from his agent. But in this case, to say, right, listen, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to speak for half an hour, <laughs> a lot of it about this very contentious subject. Yeah. There's a risk attached, uh, there's a factor attached to that, but I admire the, the guy's schutzpah that he went out and spoke. Yeah, um, I mean, whether he was well advised to do it, who knows? I mean, I... I it's going to definitely create problems for them. I mean, again, let's cite the example of Rooney, a different part of his career. You know, he he uh, kicked up problems over his contract. Rooney was looking for the kind of money that he deserves. I'm, I'm working for this gigantic uh, money-making business. I'm a large part of the reason why it's so successful. I want more of the, the proceeds. Give me more of the profits. I, you know, the, the, thing, the thing about footballers, well, because the 
the sums of money they're paid sound so outlandish to everybody. Um, it's sometimes it's a struggle to remember that they are in fact the workers in this industry. They're the labour, not the capital. They're not the owners. Um, if you're saying footballers are paid too much, then you're saying that they're getting too much of the, the proceeds of the industry. That more of it, presumably, if you argue the footballers are getting paid too much, more of it should go to who? The owners? You know, the capitalists? The, the actual super rich people who actually own these things rather than the workers who are doing all the work. Rooney, anyway, made the point that uh, Rooney, Rooney threatened to leave or put in his transfer request knowing that it would force Manchester United to pay him, make him the best paid player in the league. That has not been without cost to Wayne Rooney because while he's made a huge amount of money out of it, it turned a lot of the Manchester United fans against him, and it's it's almost long term though. Yes, long term, and and I, yeah, absolutely. It 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 ruined him in the eyes of a lot of Manchester United fans. Not the first time he did it, but the second time. The first time they could let him let him off. The second time it was just oh no, and especially because uh, he is actually he's in a different position from Sterling though because he's now. Maybe he's he's had his best years of his career. Whereas with Sterling, there's this promise of what might be. You know, if he's already this good at 20, what's how good is he going to be when he's 25? If he keeps improving, which is the uh, which is the imponderable. That's where it. That's why it becomes a gamble for Liverpool. Do we do we give this guy? Do we make this guy our best paid player? He's the most he's the most talented young player at the club. There's Coutinho as well, but you know Sterling is. The young English player, I think definitely better than Sturridge, has more potential, is more talented. Paying that much money now, what happens? You know, he might get injured. Maybe he, maybe something goes off the rails uh, with him a little bit. Suddenly we're paying, you know, nine or ten million a year to a guy who's no longer worth his place in the team. That's the gamble. But to be honest, I think it's it's one that they need to... I think he will stay at Liverpool this, this uh, summer uh, because of the attitude that John Henry showed previously when telling Luis Suarez that he was going to stay. Suarez said he had a, had a, had a clause in his contract that said he could leave, and Henry said no. Uh, and in that case, Suarez was determined to leave. We're not even sure if Sterling is. There's a, he, clearly, he's considering it. But we'll get, get on to that in a bit more detail with yeah. Richie in a little while. Danny Higginbottom, Ken, hasn't featured for so long in your report on sport. Not since uh, Ireland were playing Gibraltar. Um, he's a Gibraltarian, I think. Um, but he has brought out uh, an autobiography, Rise of the Underdog, in which he, uh, and a couple of extracts uh, from it, I might actually pick this one up, uh, Danny Higginbottom. Um, he talks about Roy Keane, he was at Sunderland under Roy Keane. He talks about some of the uh, motivational tactics uh, that happened there. Uh, he talks about a training session which Pascal Chimbonda had had his hair done into braids and was reluctant to head the ball. Apparently, a lot of the Sunderland players were getting a little bit annoyed with this. Uh, Keane called them to... Keane, noticing this, called them to... Listen, lads, if you've got a problem with each other, please don't hold back. Just get it out there. I won't find anyone or anything. If someone has something to say, just say it. That's how it is. Say it. Right, so this is kind of Keane explaining what he wants to see from the players. Everybody is going to be at each other's throats. Um... But he says, one of the strangest team talks I've ever experienced from Keane, this is, uh, they, they lost six in nine, Sunderland, they go to play Villa. Uh, Keane walks into the dressing room, he says, listen lads, basically you're shit. Uh, try, just try and enjoy the game. You're probably going to get beat, but uh, just enjoy being shit. <laughs> and walks out. Uh, so this was... Uh, Masterstroke. So, well, so, so Higginbottom says, he, he, he scored after 10 minutes, leading at halftime, ended up drawing. 
the reverse psychology, see, worked. Um, however, the psychology wasn't necessarily always uh, as... Uh, Subtle. No, no. Um, after watching the reserves lose at Man City, he went around us individually addressing the kids first. You've got to start applying yourselves in games. You've got to give everything. If you carry on like last night, you'll find yourselves working at effing Sainsbury's this time next year. You'll be on the doll. Danny, all I'm hearing from you when I'm watching that game is encouragement. That's all I'm hearing. I thought, well, that's not so bad. Uh, Keane says, I don't want that. Uh, I want you to tell some of them they're being, you know, he he's a couple. Of, he throws in a couple of uh, hefty swear words. Owen, this is this is seriously blue language from Roy Keane. Uh, uh, after they play um, Bolton, they lose two 0 But they've be, thanks to other results, they're staying in the Premier League for the 07-08 season. They've sealed their safety. The attitude around the dressing rooms is any Higginbotham is okay. We've lost. We could have done better, but we've just secured our safety. So everyone's kind of thinking, uh, you know. Roy went ballistic, scary at the time. <laughs> you're the reason I'm driving up and down the country to find another player. Uh, you're not good enough, he yells at one player. Your attitude's shit. You're not good enough. You eat balls at others. Next week, we've got our last home game against Arsenal. You know at the end of the season when you walk around the pitch thanking the fans for their support? I'm ringing number on getting you some hoodies because you're an embarrassment. It's a joke and it's not going to stay this way. And at this point, he says everyone in the... I mean, I think the hoodies line is actually very good. I mean, he's thought that through. <laughs> he's imagined what it's going to be like. Yeah, if they were wearing hoodies. Um, but at that point, the Sunderland players were kind of beginning to feel a little browbeaten. Yeah, I mean, the Sunderland players could, could be within their rights are thinking, Gaffer, if you put a bit more thought into a more nuanced tactical plan, we might have a better chance of winning these games. Uh, as If you put as much thought into that as you do into these hilarious barbs that you're hitting us with. He's brilliant at the barbs. He's amazing at the barbs. Uh, we've got time for one more story here, Ken. Um, Paul Pogba? I, I just, uh, I'm just going to mention one other thing Danny Higginbottom oh, says, yeah. and this is about Jim Ryan, uh, the reserves coach at Man United. And he says, uh, Jim Ryan used to give me so much shit. He was always on my back uh, every single day, even when I'd not done anything wrong. So you can imagine, you know, Jim Ryan always criticizing, complaining. Um, uh, he says, uh, he, he, after, after he makes his debut, Higginbottom makes his debut, Jim Ryan uh, says, come on, Danny, get in the car with me to go over from Cliff to Littleton Road. He asked me what I made of my full debut. I confessed I loved it, absolutely loved it. Feeling bold, I said, can I ask you something? Of course you can, Danny, he said. Why are you always on at me? I said, every day since I've been an apprentice, it's just stick. Even when I haven't done anything wrong, you always bring it back to me. Honestly, it does feel like you bully me a bit. Listen, Danny, here's some advice for you, he said. If people have a go and they're on at you like that, it's because they like you. You probably won't find it in any other walk of life other than football, but it's true. The time to be really worried is when it stops, because then no one wants to know you. They've given up on you. It's a piece of advice I took with me and passed on to young lads as well. What do you think of that? I think, think it's an easy justification for behaving in a intimidating manner. I absolutely agree with that. I think it's like, uh, you know, you should, like what? You don't. You don't have to behave in that way to teach. Different people have different ways of teaching, and that's what this guy is. He's a youth team coach. He's a teacher of football. Yeah. Uh, I mean, per- personally, I wouldn't respond too well to. to no. that Maybe that's why I'm not a professional football. Yeah, you're more. You're more in the, da- in the David Beckham. Uh, David like, Beckham category. You're a good lad. Oh, thank you, boss. Thanks, I'll boss. Work hard for you.
Yeah, everyone will just uh, form a circle and pat each other on the back. That Roy Keane thing wouldn't have worked on me, by the way. You know, you're shit, but just enjoy it. Ah. See, see, Roy Keane seems to have taken on a bit of the of the Jim Ryan. I mean, Roy Keane, remember, got decked by Brian Clough and blamed himself. Oh, that was a bad back pass. You know, like, I mean, no. The manager punched you. The manager punched. That's not justifiable, you yeah, know? And I mean, you know, Jim Ryan is obviously a, a kind of a man of the old school. You can see Higginbotham talking about the Sunderland players. That type of behaviour is becoming less acceptable. And I'm sure your old school football man would say, well, that's why these guys are all so soft now. That's why they're rubbish these days. But um, I think actually that is an improvement. That is that is one of the ways in which life has got better. Uh, that those ty- that type of carry on, you know, you do it. We were talking about Clough. Clough was fine with that. Jeremy Clarkson punched the guy, and uh, apparently, apparently, that was no longer acceptable. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. We're joined now in studio by the inspiration behind Bus the Opera. Richie, how are you? Lads, how are you doing? You well? We were speaking last night about the perception of professional footballers, and it's a theme that, uh, it's, well, it's what we're talking about now, because Raheem Sterling is getting quite a bit of stick from Liverpool supporters for uh, going out and doing a fairly lengthy interview about essentially defending his stance over not signing a new contract. Are the Liverpool fans who are annoyed, are they right to be annoyed? Yeah, you have to understand, I suppose, if you're a Liverpool fan, you're emotionally invested in the situation. And if one of the outcomes in this is that he leaves, you can understand why they're riled. But if you look objectively at it, um, I don't think he's doing anything wrong at the moment. We we obviously don't know how it's going to play out. My gut feeling is that he will probably leave. Um, but yeah, you can understand why Liverpool fans will be, will, will be kind of pissed off by the whole thing. But... Um, I don't buy this this greedy footballer. Yeah, that that you thing. Don't buy it. It's the thing that young players get thrown at them all the time, um, and and you don't have to be talking about a hundred, hundred and fifty grand contracts. Like go right through the levels. Like all the young players, it's the thing that the club tells you when they want you to stay. They just try and say, "Well, listen, look at you. You're getting your and you demonise the agent and the advisors, um, and you accuse the player of taking his eye off the ball and getting his priorities all wrong." They say, no, you're a footballer first and foremost. For football reasons, you stay at this football club and considering anything else is, is clearly evidence that you've just, you lost the run of yourself, it's all gone to your head, you're a money grabber. And this is the start of the end. You're on a road to ruin. This is the kind of pressure the clubs put on players, um, which is unfair. It's true in some cases, but it's probably not true here. I was quite struck just in the actual doing of the interview the fact that he sat down with a journalist for 25 minutes and chatted at length about this it seemed to me a risky PR move in some ways because as soon as he starts being asked and she put the figures to him as soon as a player starts being asked about turning down or or as he says not giving an answer his his position is that he wants to leave it until the summer that he hasn't rejected this big contract offer but the figures of 100 grand a week are being thrown at him it almost seems to me it's quite hard to answer that in any way that's not going to make you look like a selfish young footballer well if 
He's tried to come out and say, well, it's it's not about money. It's always been about trophies. Um, So I will make the decision based on ambition. And my ambition goes way beyond my wage packet. You'd have to respect him if that's the case. If that's true, you can't really argue with that at all because that's that's the very opposite of being a money grabber. You're actually saying that the 100 grand a week is on the table. I'm prepared to ignore that. I'm going to make a decision based on who's the club that's going to most likely fulfill my ambition of lifting trophies. Like, that's to be applauded if that's his stance. So if he's going to wait in the summer, I assume he doesn't have to wait in the summer to know who wants him. He knows right now mm. who wants him. His agent has had lengthy discussions with the clubs who want him. So if he's going to leave Liverpool because he thinks Liverpool aren't going to win trophies, first of all, I think he's correct in that assessment. I don't think Liverpool is the best club to stay at if your sole ambition is to win trophies. So I can't really see many issues with any of that. Are Liverpool fans buying that, though? The the idea that that there could be anything other than greed behind yeah. what Sterling is doing, I'm sure. I'm sure plenty of them are. I mean, they're not the ones whose tweets get um, picked out and put into you know articles on the internet showing lists of you know here are the ten most offensive tweets sent by Liverpool angry Liverpool fans about Raheem Sterling. I'm sure a lot of them are uh, <laughs> are able to see it in more realistic terms. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I think there's a. I think when we talk about Sterling here, really, I think I think the person that we're, yeah. we're talking about is Sterling's agent, uh, who is a guy called Ad Ward. Um, Ward is a guy who um, recently went uh, independent. Uh, you know, he was part of a kind of a larger agency. He struck out on his own. Raheem Sterling is is his biggest client. The other uh, client that he has is uh, Berahino at West Brom. Oh, and I don't know if you were at the same talk as at the Web Summit. There was an interesting talk with with a few uh, agents. One of the guys was a was the agent of um, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, he or had been Shaquille. I think he still was, in fact. Um, and was talking about the kind of the kind of mo- modern model for you know if an agent who wants to get really rich uh, is not to have as many clients as possible, but rather to have one super client. And you then cater to their everyday. You're kind of a fairy godmother to this person, um, you know. So in his case, it was it was Shaq, and you know, literally every single he was available for Shaq uh, like uh, 24 hours of the day. He sorted out every single detail of his life. He maximized his earnings in every possible way, and in return, uh, Shaq Made gave him 15 percent of everything he, he earned. Um, you know this, uh, and this guy clearly. Paul Stretford has done it really successfully yeah. in football with Rooney. He is uh, absolutely devoted to Rooney to the exclusion of everyone else. You know, I, mean, I remember speaking to Stan Collymore about this before. He was uh, he was a former client of, or Stretford had been his agent at one point. You know, but once Stretford saw that Rooney was going to take off in a massive way, he was going to become such a huge player. He pretty much forgot about all everyone else. And just focused on Rooney and has made fortunes out of it. It's quite clear what A.D. Ward wants to do. I mean, Raheem Sterling is the kind of player who could do that. Um, you know, he's still only 20 years old. He's already uh, going to... The next contract that he signs, wherever it is, is clearly going to be a six-figure-a-week contract. Um, but I think from the point of view of the agent, there's a couple of things to consider. Number one, how to maximize your earnings in the short term. 
Now, I think that's going to happen no matter what he does. He can't help, you know, he, he, he can't, you know the way Sideshow Bob, when he's stepping on the rakes, this guy is, the, is in the same position as Sideshow Bob, but he can't help stepping on six-figure contracts. Any step he takes, there's a six-figure contract there. But the main thing he has to be thinking about is, how do I maximize my earnings over the next 12 or 13 years? And even from that perspective, I think leaving Liverpool might be the best thing to do at this point. Why? Because is Liverpool the best place for him to develop as a player? That's what the agent has to think about now. Not how can I get paid the most money this year and next year. It's how can I ensure that Sterling's development keeps progressing uh, at the maximum possible pace so that when he's 25, 26, he's the best that he can be, that he fulfills his potential because that's how I'm going to maximise my lifetime earnings. And the same, obviously, for my young, my young client, Raheem, whose interests guide my every decision. Those questions are, are, are kind of unanswerable, though, when you try to ask whether staying or going is the best thing for your long-term development because th- there's, there's very plausible arguments you could put on, on both sides of that because there's one, I, I've read a good few pieces in the last few days where, where people have come out and said, Sterling needs to stay where he is. It, the environment that Rodgers has created is, is, is spot on for a young player to learn and develop and he'll be nurtured and, and he'll... He's being understood and he's loved and the fans like him and all of those things. The, the, the flip side to that then is, well, why would you not learn a hell of a lot? by Pick any club, Man City, Real Madrid, doesn't matter. But you're going to be playing with superb players. You're going to have to really, you're, you're not guaranteed your place in your team. He probably is if he stays at Liverpool. Some players would really thrive in an environment where they're pushed more than they are. Mm. So you could easily say, well, leaving is the best thing. He will get more... He will get more opportunities to win trophies at other clubs, and I often hear players like Ronan O'Gara is a big one for this. Ever listen to him talking? He just he's, he's so dismissive, or so strong in this. He says that to be taken seriously as a sports person, it's all about trophies. He, he says it so definitely. So you're not going to win trophies at Liverpool. So if it's all about being as best you can be, go win trophies at the biggest club and test yourself by playing with much better players in much better teams in much harsher conditions. As opposed to staying at Liverpool, where I, I'm not going to use not that it's an easy life, but things are comfortable. The notion here, though, of who's actually making the decision, uh, can you say there's an assumption that the agent is is not just guiding this but driving it? Absolutely, he's yeah. the one all, How do you how do we know that though? How do we how because do we know that's his I, job? I, but how do we? That's his job. But Raheem Sterling is twenty. But how do we know how strong or otherwise Raheem Sterling is in his own opinions? He's obviously got his family around him. He mentions his mum a lot in these interviews. How do we know that it's not himself and his mum who are the ones making the calls here and asking the agent to guide them? You know, it seems like there's there's this patronising notion that a footballer can't make his own mind up about even about his own career. Well, if they're asking the agent to guide them, then they're doing what the agent tells them. Otherwise, why are they paying the agent? The agent, what's his job? I mean, well, the, ag- the agent, agent presents a variety of options. You yeah, can, you, you know, the agent is clever. I mean, he presents he prevents a, he presents a couple of choices, you know, and it's obvious which one everyone's going to take. Well, you, you, he's he's like, controlling the situation. You see, again, we, we we don't know, but like it, it's it's possible the agent has gone out and said, "Well, this is what Liverpool have offered. This is what Club X and Club Y and Club Z have offered as well. So they're your choices here. By signing today with Liverpool, you rule out all those because your transfer fee becomes whatever." and everyone else is out of the water then. So that could be all he's doing. And that's not necessarily putting one thing on the table saying, Raheem, that's the one you should go with. Now, it could become, because we don't know what these other options are, we don't know how obvious it is 
as to which of those options is the best one. Like if we knew all the facts here and we knew all the figures and we knew the length of the contract and we knew the agent fees and we know all the things that were on the table, it could become very obvious here that you know, Sterling would be a headbanger to stay at Liverpool, yeah. given what's... Again, because you have to factor in, he's in a, in, in a, at the start of a career, but it could be over by the summer. Like, he could get an injury, he could get one injury for a year and could never play the same again. So they're all the things that your agent has to tell you. If he's sitting there telling you, you've got 15 years of earnings, think long-term here, he, he's, you could also argue he's not doing his job. Because no one's guaranteed 15 years of anything. So yeah. you could realistically say, well, you could say, well, we're, we're at the, you're at the peak of your powers here. The, why you would stay at Liverpool, the argument that people have said is, you know, stay at Liverpool, improve as a player, develop, mature, blah, 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 and maybe 25, 26 make the move. But the whole premise behind that is that you get to a point where a big move is something you can get. He can get that now. Mm. He can get, and, and whatever way you want to present this, whether it's, the, the, the wages or the trophies or the playing at a bigger club and testing yourself or getting the experience of a foreign league in, 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 in different countries, they're all on the table now. He doesn't need to wait and give his all for five years at a club that he knows he's going to guarantee his game every week. You're convinced, Ken, that a, no 20-year-old footballer is making those decisions no. themselves? No, it would be dereliction of I, I, don't, sorry, I don't mean by themselves. I, uh, clearly, mm. clearly they're not. And, they're, and once the decision's made, they're, they're not the ones who know how to go and source it. Of course, the the role of the agent is quite defined in that case but you don't feel that he would be the driving force he he would be talking to the agent and saying I want to get out of Liverpool give me some options here and let's do this well he, he, he may well be he may be trying to he may actually be trying to get out that's, a, that's also a possibility I mean I think the agent is looking at it going okay has probably sat him down and said this is you know this is what we might be able to accomplish the two of us together and um, what's the best way to do it is it the the important thing, I think the agent has to, you know, I, I, I take your point, you know, this could all be over for Sterling in, in the morning, you know. Um, but the agent kind of has to work on the assumption that it won't be. You know, what's the best, what's the sort of, you know, I mean, he, he, you've got to think at least medium term on the base. I mean, if, if, if it is all over in the morning, well, Let's find that's a, new a pity. Sterling. Hopefully, Saito <laughs> Berahino, uh, who's, who's anyone's other, other client, uh, works out. But, you know, um, I think the question is, is Liverpool really the best place? Yeah. Um, this is the argument that's, that's put forward by, say, someone like Paul Scholes. Uh, he's talked about him uh, in the independent, his independent column, the tiny little column say, my view is Raheem Sterling should say Liverpool. They've elevated him from the junior sides. He is a manager who's built a team around him. He plays every week. What more do you need at that age? So, you know, there's some, there's some arguments. The, argu- the essential argument is that Liverpool is a place where Raheem Sterling will play all the time. Yeah. Whereas if he goes to Man City, maybe he turns out like Scott Sinclair, you know, or, you know, Scott Sinclair went to Manchester City and it didn't really work out. Jack Rodwell, maybe he turns out to be one of these guys. Um, but I don't think that, for instance, Liverpool have elevated him from the junior sides or have built a team around him are... are should mean anything. Well, I, mean, I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if both of those, either of those are true either in the sense that he's been asked to play wing back for example so they haven't really built at times so they haven't actually built a team around him and elevated from the junior sides it's not as though they discovered him as a six year old and brought him all the way through there was a battle for this guy's signature when he was 15 15 years of age so Liverpool Liverpool won a scramble for him then and, and, and took him on when he was 15 I mean there was other clubs interested you know um, Arsenal decided uh, yeah. not, to, not to go not to pay the, the money that was required at that time 
uh, and Liverpool got him. But, you know, I mean, what Scott's saying, he has built the team around to, to an extent um, in that, well, I w- the way I would put it is he's been Liverpool's most important attacking player this season. You know, when Sturge has been injured, um, he's been, he's been uh, you know, he's played centre forward quite a lot. You know, that you could argue that's building the team around him and so on. But the only reason Liverpool did that was because he's a really good player. Yeah. It wasn't a favour to him. They didn't take a punt. No, he, he, they, they put him in because they didn't have anyone better. And he proved his, proved his worth in the team. And that's what everybody else sees. Hang on, this guy's really good. And that's why he's, he's got all these options. That's why he's not grateful to them to say, oh, yeah, you know, five million a year. Mm, actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can do that, if I should do that. I mean, what I, wor- what I would worry about if I was his agent now is, is this the best place for him? Because sure, he's playing every week, but he could play every week at almost every club. There's only a tiny handful of clubs now that he wouldn't automatically be in the first team. You're talking, you know, Bayern or a team that's been mentioned in connection. He, he might have a struggle to get into that team. Um, that's, so that's no, no, no longer really the important thing. The important thing, I think, is where is, where is the development going to come from? Who's, who's showing this guy the way? When he was uh, playing last season, he had a clear model of a, of a player who was everything that was good about, you know, showing him everything that uh, the best players in the world are, you know, in Suarez. That's gone now. Who does he have to learn from now? Brendan Rodgers. Well, he doesn't seem to to rate Rodgers' um, – that doesn't seem to be a factor here in deciding whether to sign the contract, you know. Daniel Sturridge. Is Daniel Sturridge an appropriate model for Sterling? I don't think those are the kind of models that are going to – a player that young needs an example, needs to be shown the sort of path to development – and I don't think he necessarily has that. What Skulls is talking about there is loyalty. I think. Sorry, Richie, you wanted to come in. Now, even that comment about he's got a manager who, whatever way Skulls phrase it there, his manager who rates him or will pick him. The manager could be gone by the, the summer. Like, it wasn't so long ago we were sitting there going, ha- discussing Rogers' position within the club. So he, staying because of personal relationships is, is a very flawed approach in football because, because of the nature of the job. And I agree, like, elevating him to the junior side... He, he earned every single elevation, I'm going to keep using that word. Every team he was picked in, he, he earned the right to be picked in it. So I don't really buy any of that stuff from Skulls. And like last night on the show, listening to Liam Brady talking about you know going to Italy at a young player. He said, you know, I'm going to go yeah. and see how I get on. And I remember sitting there being wowed by that. Imagine a young player having the wherewithal to take a move like that, to, to back his ability and thinking, I'm really going to push myself. This is exactly what Sterling could be considering doing. And yet, the, the, a lot of the public discussion around him is, well, how dare this little scamp turn down 100 grand a week at a club who got him since he was 15 and picks him every week and a manager who likes him and the fans who love him. Like, that's come into the real world a little bit. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like he, he has options that far exceed his Liverpool teammates and he has a, his ability to probably exceed them all as well. So... It's, it's not a bad thing that he sees himself completely different and wants to see himself somewhere else. It sounds like you both think he should leave. Well, I don't... Uh, what I would say, I don't necessarily think he should leave. He should be n- not be criticised for considering leaving. I think absolutely the, yeah, the reasons that people are saying he shouldn't go, I don't buy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I think about... Uh, okay, say, think of uh, Lionel Messi, right? It's, it's difficult to sometimes appreciate how young Sterling in fact is. He's 20 years old, right? He's, he's barely no longer a child, you know what I mean? And suddenly he's here in this uh, really uh, difficult sort of professional world 
uh, of incredibly high standards. I mean, he's he's competing against seasoned professionals who've been doing this for a long time. He's got to kind of get his head around this adaptation in his life. From basically a couple of years ago, he's a kid, he's running around, you know, wide-eyed. Now he's supposed to be competing against the best players in the world, right? It's a difficult psychological adaptation, I think, for someone of that age. And even the best players, I mean... Think of Lionel Messi at Barcelona. When he was Sterling's age, he had a little bit of a wobble himself. He was he was kind of uh, you know um, Ronaldinho and Deco were kind of his his mates in the team, and they were taking him out a lot. You know, he was kind of like, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, going out for the first time in his life, thinking, "This is great!" Like everybody knows me, this is awesome, and uh, and he was beginning to actually lose a bit of focus on it. This, we're talking about Messi, right? Lionel Messi. Uh, Guardiola arrived into Barcelona. He, he right, remember Rijkaard had been the manager of, of Barcelona. Rijkaard was a guy who who also would. He's a little more loose in his management. Exactly. Style. He he liked to enjoy life as well. So everywhere Messi looked, he saw Ronaldinho, right? He saw Deco. He saw Rijkaard. Uh, everyone was having an amazing time. Guardiola arrived in, right? This kind of stern, austere figure. Rijkaard's gone. Immediately gets rid of Ronaldinho. Immediately gets rid of Deco, because of the, the effect that they were having on Messi. That's the only reason that he got rid of two of the best players. Two of the best players Barcelona had had were booted out by Guardiola because he understood the effect that they would have on this young player. That's the, that, that's the significance of kind of models, I think, in the life of someone that age. But how does that re- reflect? How does that well, I don't, relate to... I don't see who... who I don't see he a Guardiola have... figure at Liverpool. Yeah. But I can think of... I mean, there's, there's obviously one at Bayern... I mean, it's the same guy. But that's the danger that Richie talks about, about signing for a, a specific manager, deciding, basing your entire future on who's at the club in one particular season. Guardiola could Guardiola's easily be gone. Be, he's not going to be there for... In a year or so, yeah. Exactly, yeah, one more one more year. But, you know, at, at the age that Sterling is at, I think it's critical that, he, that he's in an environment where he's going to improve. And I think the, the way he's going to improve is not just by playing football in the league for a team, but by playing with players who are better than him. Richie, last word on this. You know, I read a piece the other day and someone used the Gareth Bale season as an example. And and Bale has had, I think, six full seasons in the Premier League and then went to Spain and he's had his difficulties. And I think the point was, you know, Faraway Hills aren't always greener. But can you think of what Bale's experience as a footballer is? Like, he's training with the world's best players, the world's biggest club. He's won a Champions League. Every competition they go in for, they're expected to win or they come close to winning it. And, And... And... Compare that then, I'm not saying Sterling is going to end up at Real Madrid, but the flip side to that is, say, staying, the argument saying that that shouldn't be something that a 20-year-old should expose him to, the, the, the risk that it could go wrong or the risk that fans might boo you, you mightn't play every week. If you're, argu- if you're putting forward staying at Liverpool as the, as the alternative to that for the simple reason that he's a manager who likes him, he's been there a while, he's going to get nurtured, the crowd like him and he'll play every week. Like that doesn't stack up. Could give me something more than that. Give me something. Give me something like he he'll win a trophy. He'll. No one's saying that. No one's saying stay at Liverpool because they'll win the Premier League. Stay at Liverpool. They they left at the group stages of the Champions League. There was no big deal. Yeah. No no. Can you imagine the bigger clubs leaving in the group stage of the Champions League. I mean, you've got. You've, I mean, look at Liverpool at the moment. If you're the agent, you think, well, the club's going backwards. You know, you've got a manager who says things like, uh, "The way I work is about being innovative and creative." I can't then go and watch my team go and slug out a result. We can do that. We've shown that. But it doesn't give me joy. 
I love the beauty of football. Right, and well, you're thinking you're fifth in the league. Liverpool fans, give Richie Sadler more on Twitter if you want if you want to get into it with him. There, Richie, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. I appreciate that last line. Thanks. <laughs> it's a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. I thought that he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Just go back to Richie's interpretation of Sterling's comments that he's only waiting. The only reason that he isn't signing a contract is he's waiting to see how the team does for the rest of the season and what goes on in the summer and the ambition of the club. It's a f- I'm not sure if that's the case. When it comes to the summer, I don't know if there's any guarantee that he will, he will sign that contract that's in front of him. He might say, yeah, I like the ambition of the club. This looks good. Now. Let's talk about this contract. That's certainly what I got from the conversation that he had uh, with the reporter on BBC. As we said earlier, it's kind of a strange one to be talking at such length about that. He seemed uncomfortable at times, as you would be. He's not. He's not a. The comparison to Rooney is interesting. Rooney, at that age, just was really short in answers, and you couldn't have imagined him even speaking for that long in public. Mm. Sterling's a little more comfortable in how he communicates, but it was. It's, you can still sense he's trying to think everything over in his head before he actually says it. And I never got, to be honest, I never got to a full understanding of why he just hasn't just signed the contract. Mm. It, didn't, uh, it didn't make a huge amount of sense based on what he was saying, but we can only assume that he is going to hold out for more money as well as wanting to see what the club... For example, he was asked, is it about, ambi- is it about the ambition of the club? And it might be, but he can't really say... Well, yeah, I mean, like, I don't like the ambition of this club, or I'm not sure about it. He had to say, yeah. oh, yeah, the ambition is great. It's not like he's Steven Gerrard, for instance, who exactly. uh, who threatened to leave Liverpool because they weren't showing enough ambition um, halfway through the season in which they ended up winning the Champions League. You know, didn't Gerrard say shortly before that famous game against Olympiacos, oh, you know, this place doesn't, um, you know, got to say, you know, got you got to be... Uh, Challenger for the top prize, that's what it's all about. You know, Jared was threatening to leave. And then remember, towards the end of that season, towards at the beginning of that season, he nearly joined Chelsea. And then at the end of that season, he, all, he again nearly joined Chelsea. You know, even for Gerard, whose who's ties with the club are so much, uh, so much deeper going back through his family's history and everything than, than with Sterling, it was still a dilemma that he had. You know, so it's no surprise that, that Sterling is in this position. Why he doesn't sign the contract? It's obvious because... Um, Always holding off on the contract is the best thing to do here. He it increases his range of options, and it increases the money that he's eventually going to sign for wherever he does sign. Well, the which only, could be yeah, Liverpool. The only area of it that is maybe not beneficial to him is the public perception, the perception of supporters towards him in a business sense, in terms of making as much money as possible. Clearly, hmm. if they they want him, they need him almost. So that, that is maybe true. It's best just to hold off. It is. It is going to cost you. It is going to cost you with the supporters, but. If, if, for instance, he signed on again at Liverpool, I'm sure the supporters would be able to... They'd let him away with this one. Again, maybe if he, the next time <laughs> Strike he did one. It, that's when uh, yeah, you, can get, you, you get two goals at this. You might have been watching Italy and England draw with each other on Tuesday night. It was Tuesday night, wasn't it? Yeah, Gabriele Mercotti certainly was. But we want to talk to Gabriele about the manager, Antonio Conte, who had been managing Juve, took the Italy job to the surprise of some people. I, I think you might have felt that it was a strange decision to make at this time in his career. But he seems to be having issues with his old club. Why is he running into problems already? He's only been in the job a wet week. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of remarkable. I mean, he sort of ran into problems, I think, from the start, in the sense that he came in and he really gave up a lot to be uh, to be Italy manager. 
you know, obviously he was at Juventus. He was in a situation where they won three league titles in a row. He probably could have, you know, hedged his bets to go to another big club. And he he really came out and and he, he made this very big commitment to um, to the national team, which I thought it was quite a risky commitment. And he immediately said things like, uh, you know, I wanted, he wanted players to have for um, these two-day training camps outside of international dates. He wanted much more access to them to their medical records and so on. And the club balked at that, and, and he didn't get his way. And then you had this bizarre situation with, uh, with Marquisio, who joined up with the national team, um, picked up an injury, supposedly. It looked like he had hurt his ACL, would have been out six to seven months. Um, get sent home, and then the Uva doctor examines him and says, "No, he's absolutely fine. You know, he could be back in in a week's time." So, and that was never quite clear. And then there's just been a lot of shots back and forth, primarily with Uva. He did not leave the club in good terms. So it's really been a bumpy ride for him. This is the the weird thing. I mean, his relationship with Juventus is worse than his relationship with anybody. Uh, and this was the club where, you know, as you mentioned, he won three leagues in a row and done brilliantly with. Why did he leave there? It's obviously something, well, it's not necessarily obvious, but it looks rather as though something uh, went badly wrong between him and the people he was working for at Juventus. Yeah, there's no question that there's something there and that the truth hasn't fully emerged. Um, you know, at the time, they sort of depicted it as like, oh, look, you know, no big deal. You know, we're thankful to him. But, you know, if it's one of those things was sort of like a natural parting of the ways, then you do it at the end of the season. You know, you don't do it in, in what, mid-July, <laughs> you know, which kind of left Juventus uh, very much, I think, in a lurch. Um, Conte, I think, is he's a hard-nosed guy. He's, he's an emotional guy. And, and as I alluded to before, I, you know, I don't understand this move to be Italy national team manager because I'm thinking to myself, what can you do to enhance your reputation? by coaching Italy, um, other than winning the Euros or getting to the final of the Euros, you know? Other than doing that, which obviously is by no means an easy task, um, you know, you, odds are he will leave the Italy job when he does, you know, without his reputation enhanced. And, uh, and that's always tricky. He, I think one thing you can say about him is that, you know, he's, he's his own man and he maybe doesn't always, you know, take the most obvious steps that, uh, and climbing up the, the career ladder. How difficult is this going to be for him if there is this issue between himself and Juventus? How difficult is it for any manager to try to manage the national team if they seem to have a, a poor relationship with the, with the preeminent club in the country? I think it would be more difficult if there weren't 24 teams going to the Euros. I mean, the reality is that, you know, if you're Italy, you know, you would really have to screw it up big time to not qualify for the Euros. So throughout qualification, they may bicker, they may have issues, you know, but ultimately he'll still get there. And once they're at the Euros, he'll have his players, and it'll be up to him. Um, I think there's also, though, an element as far as Juventus are concerned. I mean, he was greeted with rapturous applause by the Juve fans when he came back for that friendly against uh, England on Tuesday night. And I think that speaks volumes. You know, I think if you're Juventus as a club you probably want to tone things down a little bit in terms of uh, in, in terms of your bickering with him and some of the shots that were fired. I mean, you know, one of the things that was said was that, um, and, and this is 
this, this was one of the outcomes. This is one of the, the Juventus's owners came out and said, well, you know, Conte's problem is that, you know, if you're the national team coach, it's not your job to train the players. You just have to manage them. You know, the implication being that he trained guys too hard and they got hurt on national team duty. Um, Conte really did not appreciate that. And, and I think, you know, Juventus have, they have nothing to gain from, I think, going to war with him at this stage. Yeah, uh, there's been another uh, issue, um, and I, w- I wonder what your impressions are on this, which is that the um, uh, the question of foreign-born players, foreign-born Italian uh, players of Italian ancestry representing the national team, um, and this kind of came to a head, uh, you know, 10 days ago or so, Adair, the Brazilian-born uh, striker from, from Santoria, called up, uh, which prompted a, a bit of a negative comment at the time. I'm sure Conte was delighted to see Eder then come on as a substitute in his debut and score the equaliser uh, against Bulgaria. So he showed the kind of quality um, that he showed why he's being called up. But uh, it was Roberto Mancini, I think, who led the charge on that uh, on the Eder issue. He said the Italian national team, the Italy national team, should be Italian. Uh, and said, an Italian player deserves to play in the Italian national team. Well, those who were not born in Italy, even if they have Italian relatives... Don't deserve it. Uh, that's uh, a fairly unreconstructed view from Mancini. Is it a widespread view? Yeah, I think Mancini kind of spoke without thinking on it um, for, for several reasons. I mean, one, if we could have players who were uh, born in Italy, then uh, you know we'll take Thiago Alcantara out there. Thank you very much, even though who happened to have been born in Italy because his dad was playing in Italy at the time, but obviously he has nothing Italian about him and moved away when he was six months old. Um, you know, I, I think every case is obviously different. Uh, one difficulty with Mancini is that uh, in Italy, as in most European countries, simply being born in a country does not mean you become a citizen of that country. I, I don't know what the situation is like in yeah. Ireland. No, well, you, you, don't, you don't automatically become a citizen of Ireland if you're born yeah. here either. No, no. Precisely. So I think that's something that you know, Mancini would probably need to think about. I mean, Balotelli himself was born in Italy. You know, he only became a, a citizen, I think, at age 17. So... You know that that's something to to, to think about. Like, there are different cases. You, you know, you've got you know people like, like Giuseppe Rossi, who was born in the U.S. Both his parents are Italian. They were they were immigrants. Um, his dad was his coach when he was 14 years old. He sent him back to Italy uh, to, to to Parma to, to to help his football development. You know, I don't think there's any argument that that guy is attached to the Italian national team. Yeah, or get, get ready. If, yeah, if you, if your own kids wanted to play for Italy someday, for example, I'd say by Roberto Mancini's logic, uh, he, he'd rather they didn't. That's right. Yeah, and in fact, my my, my kids are, are you know, they'd be theoretically eligible for five different countries. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's uh, <laughs> something to think about. Um, you know, I, I, I think there. I think what's really difficult is. FIFA have made rules, and, and the rules are pretty clear. And I, I looked at them again in detail, and if you want, you're really bored, you can go look them up. I think they're as close to accurate or as close to appropriate as you can get. Where I think you, you run into a problem is that, you know, every case is different, and I think you have to look into somebody's heart. Where do they actually feel? And it's very, very difficult to do. And, and what I would expect was be an FA not to call people up simply because they make them better. You know, we look at Diego Costa. Diego Costa is not Spanish. He should not be playing for Spain. I don't care that he's eligible, but he really should not be playing for Spain. His priority was playing for Brazil. He proved it by playing for Brazil in friendly matches, and he changed out of convenience because it suited everybody. Adair, you know, Adair's dad 
um, played for Brazil in the 1982 World Cup. Um, Adair has an Italian great-grandparent, and I think ultimately he got his passport based on, on residency because he, he moved to Italy, I think, when he was 18 or 19 years old and was there for 10 years. And, you know, I, I'm not really comfortable with with those situations. And whereas a different case is Franco Vasquez, who also played for Italy, who was the other sort of foreign-born Italian. Well, Franco Vasquez's mom was born in Italy. Um, his uh, paternal grandmother was also born in Italy. Um, the fact that he does not have an Italian signing name and was born abroad, I have less of a problem with that because there is, you know, a straight one-generation uh, relationship. Deep down, would Vasquez rather be playing for Argentina? Probably. All right, Gabriele, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million. My pleasure. What do you think about that nationality issue? Well, um... But Bobby Mancini, certainly. I saw him referred to as Bobby Mancini in a piece that I came across yeah. in researching Liam Brady. A young Bobby Mancini was ripping it up for Sampdoria's... He was an amazing, amazing player for uh, Santoria. I mean, in terms of his comments, I think his comments are are uh, ill thought out. Um, FIFA more or less leaves it up to the individual countries. FIFA says, okay, if you're a citizen of the country, you can play. Mm. And um, I mean, there are a couple of restrictions. I mean, because it wasn't it? It was actually Qatar a few years ago. We're getting guys like Ailton. They were just clearly signing players. You know, signing Brazilians who couldn't make the Brazilian squad, as they do in athletics mm. all the time. No connection doesn't doesn't even seem to be a residency rule or any strict one. It's just suddenly bang, you're over. You're representing Bahrain or whatever it might be. FIFA tightened it up a little bit, but not too much. I mean, you, you see with Diego Costa, five seasons in Spain entitled him to. You know, Manuel Almunia could have played for England. Um, in the case of uh, who who is it we were talking about? Why have I forgotten? It's leaped out of my brain. It's leaved my brain now in this thought. Uh, At what point? <laughs> there's a there's a, an example of a play. Oh yeah, the the example of Ireland is an, is an interesting one. The reason that we can pick, uh, I mean, it's because of the, the funny political situation on the island of Ireland, where we no longer claim, uh, uh, you know, that the six counties belong to us. All your county are belong to us. We no longer say that in our constitution. However, we do say anyone born in the six counties in Northern Ireland is entitled to citizenship of the Republic of Ireland if they so choose. You know, leaving it up to the individual, which is how somebody like James McLean or Darren Gibson, people who would not have been eligible to play for the Republic of Ireland um, under the previous, before the Good Friday Agreement, now can. So nothing has changed with FIFA's rules regarding that. But because the rules in Ireland and, and Northern Ireland have changed, then suddenly that's why those Northern Irish players can can now play for us. FIFA leaves it up to individual countries and in Italy you know, these guys are considered to be citizens. They, they're of Italian descent. Uh, they have Italian citizenship. That Citizenship is, is not supposed to be a discriminatory, you know, you, you're not supposed to have different tiers of citizenship. Yeah. If you're a citizen and you're good enough then you should be able to play. That's pretty much it for this show. Hope you've enjoyed it. Have a listen to the podcast put it later on today. That's going to feature Shane Horgan and Jerry Thorny looking ahead to Leinster against Bath in the Champions Cup quarterfinal this weekend. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. In the meantime, thanks for listening to us today. Thank you thank again. You, uh, thank you too. And we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.